So, um, as has been read for you, we have finished up as last week the last scene of uh, Noah and his family's time on the ark. Um, and you remember uh, the scene of the ark kind of ends the same way that it began, and that is simply the portrait of Noah continues to develop um, consistently as we then approach a, a a situation in chapter 9 as we look at the man Noah who is a righteous and, and blameless individual among his generation pre-flood and as he continues that life of faith on the ark, um, he's commanded to leave the ark. And it's short and to the point, verse 15 of chapter 8, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. And if you drop down to verse 18, it, again, rightly portrays Noah as an obedient man. Verse 18 So Noah went out. It's simple and straightforward. Uh, Noah is portrayed as an obedient individual. And you can imagine if you could connect to the human texture of the text, when Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every uh, creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. You can imagine that Noah stepped out in a sense of um, great joy. Surely as he steps out of the ark after over a year on the ark in this flood experience, very difficult, waiting upon the Lord, a trial to his faith, absolutely no doubt, that as he steps out, his eyebrows are raised high in delight. The possibility that stands before Noah. And then you'll see as it goes forward from God blessing the animals, he will bless Noah and his uh, children, commanding them to be fruitful again and to multiply upon the face of the earth. And Noah is now seeing and sensing this potential that lies before him. Because in the temporal sense, it's important to us to connect what's happening now in this almost new creation-like experience with Noah, his family being the tip of the spear of the spreading of the nations that will come in chapter 10, the repopulation of the earth. Because in a very real sense, temporally speaking, Noah, as a man of faith, possesses at this moment the substance of things that he had hoped for. He is that sense, this man of faith, that now is at the place of anticipating the things that were at one time unseen are now being delivered. In other words, Noah stands here on the brink of beginning to repopulate the earth that he and his family will begin another creational movement, populating the earth and seeing it be fruitful and multiply because he had entrusted himself to God completely. We covered that for many weeks, that Noah had entrusted himself to God for complete deliverance. And then it's not just enough in the big picture. And I think sometimes that's how we experience our own Christian lives. We trust God for the big picture of deliverance. But there's a, a death by a thousand cuts in there somewhere else. To, to trust him in the daily experience. To trust him in the daily circumstance. To trust him in the momentary relationship. Again, we trust him that, yes, someday we'll be with him in eternity. And we've sang the anthems of our faith this morning in in that way uh, many times over. 
that, that, that we can't wait for his return, that we entrust ourselves wholly and completely for deliverance. But then again, with Noah, it's important to instruct ourselves. What about the daily experience? So we see with Noah as a man of faith that he did entrust himself to God's complete deliverance, but he also trusted him daily as he waited. And you remember the waiting experiences of Noah to send forth the crow and to have it return, to send forth the dove and to have it return. This sense of anticipation and then, again, having that tick down and asked to wait yet again. The question that comes to us as a reader, a good reader of Noah's example of faith is, how? How did Noah consistently act in faith? How did he consistently trust God's deliverance? Not only in the big picture, but each and every step of the way. And the answer is because he believed God's covenant fidelity. Look, you remember, all the way back to verse 18 of chapter 7. um, Verse 17 of chapter 7. But everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. You see... Throughout the process, the great deluge and the hardship of Noah's faith, Noah believed God's covenant fidelity. Simply, that what God says he will do, he will do. And that nourished his faith in the big picture, and he relied upon it in the minutia of waiting. It's similar in ways that we could put these lips on Noah's, or, or these words on Noah's lips that Paul speaks to young Timothy. And the way that he exhorts us, it's similar. Because, like Paul, he says to Timothy, I know whom I have believed. Do you see that sense of settledness about his faith? Difficult circumstances, no doubt. You go through Paul's life and mark them out. You go through Abraham, mark them out. David, so on and so forth. From Hebrews 11, you could just go down the line of Hebrews 11. In difficult circumstance, no doubt. But the faith remains the same. In essence, it belongs to the same God who is immutable. I believe him to be faithful. So Paul would say to Timothy, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able. This is the steadfastness of Noah's faith. And as we've already witnessed, this sense of surety of Noah's faith is demonstrated early on in the Noahic examples, in the, in the deluge events But the steadfastness of his faith is signaled to us even early, before he gets on the boat, and that is when he brings additional pairs of clean animals with him into the ark. That's an important piece that we get to this morning in the act of worship here. Because Noah is relying on God's covenant fidelity to make it through this difficulty. And he believed that God would, in his covenant fidelity, see him through this difficult circumstances. And so sure of that was he, that he brought additional pairs of animals, of clean animals, into the ark with him. You see, he believed that in some manner, as he and his family 
got into an otherwise coffin for a year experience out at sea. He believed on boarding, that in some real manner, God would deliver them. And as a righteous and blameless man, as the text tells us, he also knew a very important response to that deliverance. He took the additional animals because he knew that worship was the grateful and lawful response for such deliverance. Think of that this morning as you've gathered on this Lord's Day. The many anxieties that you face throughout the course of the week, maybe one overarching anxiety, or maybe you're that person that's there's a death by a thousand cuts, you've made it to Lord's Day by God's kind providence. And you know also, like Noah, that in some manner, perhaps a manner yet unseen, God will deliver you. You know this because God is covenantally faithful. He always has been. He always will be. And as an individual who calls upon him through faith, a person who is called a Christian, you gather this morning because you also know that worship is the grateful and lawful response that you ought to offer to God for such hope and deliverance. That's why Paul calls it your reasonable act of worship. It's well within reason. It's the grateful response to what God has done, what he is doing, and what we are confident he will do. And it's in this sense that Noah knew from his own deliverance, waiting on God, sensing great disappointment, bird flying out, not bringing in land, flying out, not bringing in land, this sense of disappointment and waiting and anticipation of hope that God would deliver. He knew that when he was delivered, like the statement, then, Noah, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh. You see, the text is saying deliverance. Final deliverance is here for Noah on the ark. Birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out obediently, directly, and full of anticipation, and he went out gratefully. Because in this sense, he knew from his own deliverance what Israel will come to know from hers. And what we, the church of Jesus Christ, have come to know through ours. Namely, when God declares to us, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is essentially what Noah understood, what Israel was taught, and what we gather to celebrate this morning. And so the scene 
for Noah opens up with a scene of response, a scene of worship, because it's his dutiful response for having been so delivered. And it's no different with us. As I mentioned a moment ago, gathering on Lord's Day is our dutiful act of gratitude to God for the deliverance he provides. Look at the text as it opens with Noah's response, and you'll see that. I'll just begin with you, verse 18. He went out, his sons and son wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Think about the speed of the text. It tells us something about Noah's response. You see, if you look at verse uh, seven, or, or, uh, 19, right before uh, 20, it's happening quickly. Every bird, every living thing that moves on the earth, they went out of the ark as commanded by families from the ark. They went out. Then Noah built an altar. You see, if we look at the text no more than when the families of every living thing went out of the ark, Noah built an altar on which he sacrificed all kinds of clean animals. Why? Again, perhaps something else would have been the scene. Get out of the ark. Go out. You've been delivered. Yes, I've been delivered. Noah steps down and comes out, and all the animals begin to spread under the commission of God. Be fruitful and multiply. He had created them. He commands them, providentially upholds them, directs them. Be fruitful and multiply. What is your next move? For such deliverance, perhaps forgetfulness, perhaps ingratitude for the way in which you were delivered. No more than the families of every living thing walking off the ark, Noah's very next move in the text is to build an altar upon which he can sacrifice clean animals. Why? Because Noah knew for this very purpose he was saved and his family with him, that there would be a people in the world to celebrate God's name. Again, how does that shape your view of your own family? For what purpose was I given a family? For what purpose do I belong to a family? For what purpose do I belong to God's family? For what purpose do I long belong to God through Christ in covenant family? That there would be a people in this world to celebrate his name. David would later say similar statements. Psalm 116, David says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? What, in other words, what shall I do in response? L listen again to the text. What shall I render? What should I do? 
not randomly, but what should I do unto the Lord? For what? For all of his benefits toward me. What should I do in response? He says, I will take the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will celebrate his name for the deliverance I have been shown. You see, it's the rightful response. It's the lawful response for his people that have experienced deliverance, that believe they will have deliverance, is to be a people of gratitude. And not a simplistic gratitude, but an actionable one. One that displays itself in humility and worship. No one knew this. For we read of the text, no more than he stepped off the ark did he build an altar. One author makes this comment, gratitude gets at the very essence of what it means to be created. Finite, fallen, redeemed, and sustained by the God of all grace. Gratitude gets the very essence. An interesting piece in Romans uh, 1, Romans 2, when you're reading of the various sins of mankind in in chapter 2, it's interesting as it gets down to um, God's response to mankind's evil. You'll notice very carefully in the text, they had an understanding, some measure of knowledge of God. And you know what they failed to do? with that to worship him rightly and give thanks they were ungrateful there's another question in the text here um, about uh, how did Noah know and, and, and maybe this is a little bit more academic but it's of uh, concern to us maybe we get done with this picture and Noah walks off the ark and he walks down the plank and we can see him there in the grass and the, the, the full potential out in front of him and then beginning this act of worship or this response of gratitude he knows he's been delivered and he knows and he is prompted that the rightful response to such deliverance is worship is gratitude but again Lest we skip over, how did Noah know to build an altar and to offer animal sacrifice? If you're reading the text and you've read the Noahic story from chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 now, towards the end of chapter 8, maybe we're asking, but yes, I see the action is one of worship, one of sacrifice, one of gratitude, but how did he know to build an altar and to act in that manner? Because it seems that if we were reading, there is no written instruction here. Clearly lying out. Again, he was told to take extra animals in chapter 7. Seven pairs of clean animals. Of the clean animals, add. Noah did this in obedience. But there's no instruction from that point forward that when you are done or you are delivered, stated worship will immediately begin. And the way that you will worship is through animal sacrifice offered on the altar. 
we lack that revelation. I think it seems that stands to reason that in chapter 7, when God commanded Noah not just to take pairs of animals, but then to take seven pairs of particular types of animals, which are clean animals, he no doubt enlightened Noah's understanding of the purpose and the meaning of the animals, of the purpose and the meaning of animal sacrifice. Again, we don't have a specific reference in the text. Take extra pairs, seven clean animals, because what's going to come down the pike, in a way, into Leviticus is going to be this ceremonial system, and I will explain the clean and unclean and so on and so forth. But we do have here him telling Tim to take the animals, and I do think, once again, that no doubt that in that exchange, whether we have reference to it or not, that God enlightened Noah's understanding as to the purpose and the meaning of the animals the purpose and the meaning of animal sacrifice. So here that when we see him step off and offer a heart of gratitude and worship, we see him acting on that revelation given, the sacrificing of clean animals in response to worship. But I do want to cover with you just for a couple of moments what the purpose is. Again, what is the purpose of the animal sacrifice here? I think... The purpose is twofold. If you wish to jot them down, you can track them with me. Just think with me for a moment. What is the purpose of animal sacrifice here in the scene with Noah? I think it's twofold. The very first thing I would say is I think the purpose of the animal sacrifice here is to teach, number one, that worship is gratitude displayed. Number one, that worship is gratitude displayed. So that the ancient church, that is here, Noah and his family, and then through the life of Israel, that the ancient church and we also today, you and I, believers in Christ, that we together, reading the testimony of the ancient church, would learn, as they did, to give honor to God for what we have received from his hand. That worship is gratitude displayed. That we come displaying thankfulness to give honor and glory to him to whom, to him from whom we have received all our life. Calvin adds this comment. He says, so the sacrifices were added as an outward sign. Uh, But may we ask an outward sign of what? Calvin says, to inform men that they possessed everything from God's hand. You see, think of it where Noah steps off now, back with Noah joining him on the grass, stepping off of the ark with such full deliverance, and he begins to build an altar, stone upon stone, setting it up whereby he can begin to rightfully worship God to show the proper gratitude. Think about it for a moment and in context of coming this morning. To build the altar, to bring the animal, to prepare it rightly and to offer it on the altar all took effort to slow down, take stock, and express gratitude for the glory of God. 
Perhaps we can liken it to Lord's Day. You see, to get up, to get ready, to be thoughtful, to be prepared, and to engage that you might also be engaged takes effort. Perhaps sometimes you think it takes more effort than it lawfully should, given some of the sermons. Sure, I'll grant you that. But then I put back on you, it should take effort. It should take effort on your part to slow down, just like Noah. As we draw to the table in just a few moments... The cadence in the liturgy of our time at this sacrament is exactly that, to slow down. Why? Why are we slowing down? To take stock. And then to receive and express in gratitude what God has done for us in Christ. That's one of the purposes of the animal sacrifice is to teach us And the effort that we bring is to teach us that worship is gratitude display. And that's particularly why, if you look in the text, the response of the Lord in verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, you see the language, the the aroma. So the animal is burning in verse 20. The burnt offerings on the altar are going up. And 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 then it explains it to us in this analogical way, in this way that we can understand it. The Lord smelled it. And it was a pleasing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. You see, why is it a pleasing aroma? Sounds almost a bit odd. Why would he, and that be to us, yeah, that's how he received it. It was unto him pleasing. How so? Because all of that effort, all of that slowing down, all of that taking stock, And all that expression of gratitude lawfully was a declaration of faith. It's the faith of Noah. It's the faith that displays itself in gratitude for the Lord's deliverance that is the pleasing aroma. That's why legalism will never work. It will modify behavior. But that is all that it will do, and it will only last a season of time. It must be an exercise of faith and gratitude for the deliverance you've received, whereby you choose to obey. Because legalism, micromanaged human power tools, are never a pleasing aroma. Secondly, if we look at the text, um, the other piece, I said there were two that are the purpose of, the purpose of animal sacrifice is, is to teach for two reasons. The second is that it might teach that only through bloodshed can a person be cleansed. It teaches, it pedagogically informs that, that only through bloodshed can a person be cleansed. You see, animal slaughter 
And, and this is something that maybe you should keep in mind as you continue to read through the Old Testament text. And as you think of Old Testament history and the animal sacrificial system, even when you're into the Gospels, something to keep in mind as you contextualize animal slaughter and animal sacrifice and you make sense of it for your faith and you understand what's going on in it as God has designed it. Animal slaughter is not required because God somehow particularly delights in it, in and of itself. Like somehow God just enjoys the killing of the animals. And that is in some way oddly sweet aroma. Rather... It is an ordained spiritual pattern. Even here to Noah. All the way through till we see its fulfillment in our Lord on the cross. You see, the patterning of animal sacrifice is essential. To where we come... And we recall that scripture teaches us as it teaches all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The ordained spiritual patterning that is here given to Noah to express his gratitude to God for deliverance is essential. You see, when Noah took the animal after having built the altar piece by piece, to slow down, to take stock, that he might express his faith through gratitude for deliverance he had received. When he shed the blood of the animal, it bore witness to him. It spoke testimony to him. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is the ordained spiritual patterning of animal sacrifice. One author says further, in fact, God will have to kill all those he wants to save and purify from sin. Thankfully, he will not kill them individually, but he will do so in covenant union with his son. Christ will drown under the flood of God's wrath, but rise again from the waters to carry his people into a new world. The ordained spiritual patterning in Noah's deliverance and in animal sacrifice of worship is essential. There's one final piece I wish to show you in the text as we kind of conclude our time now together and we move towards the table. There's one remaining peculiarity that I want to note for you in the text, and perhaps you naturally pick up on it through the reading of the text. But notice verse 21, and the Lord smelled the aroma as we've already covered, and the Lord said in his heart in response to Noah's act of faith expressed through worshipful gratitude. The Lord said in his heart in response, I will never again curse the ground 
because of man. And this is the peculiarity, perhaps you know that. It stands out kind of like the sore thumb. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, again, if you're reading that text, uh, and maybe you're anticipating like I would, that the text would be written something along the lines of this to make better sense. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though the intention of his heart is evil from his youth. That seemed like maybe that's the response. That would make sense a little bit more. Even though he's this way, I will never do this again to him. But it's not what it says, and it's odd. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of his heart is evil from his youth. How does that make sense? That it's because of man's heart, in a measure, that God will not destroy the earth with a flood again. Again, here we learn that physically destroying the world and nearly all humanity with it will not ultimately solve the problem. As we'll see by the time we get to chapter 9, as I've mentioned and gestured toward in just a few moments ago, Noah actually carries the ultimate problem onto the ark with him. Because, you see, the problem isn't outside of us, but the problem is within us. Therefore, as long as one single human being remains, so also the problem with them. Man's depravity will remain as God declares. He largely is going to continue to be the man that he was before the flood because Noah passes that on to his own children and his children pass it on to their children. And we have all received it as children of our parents. And your children are receiving it from you. Sin is the problem. Not simple exterior behavior. Conversion is required not simple civil restraint. So we need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, though man's depravity remains, and I'm sure each of us could list the depravity and its manifestations time and time and time and time again, we know, so I'll just move on. Man's depravity remains. Yet do we think in these terms of our own life as well and the sin that remains even with us as God's people. Daily, God spares us in patience, mercy, and grace. Daily. Final question I have for us this morning in consideration is what is your responsibility towards such patience, mercy, and grace. What is my responsibility? What is our responsibility? What is the responsibility of mankind for being sustained every day, though we hate God, being sustained every day? As the Lord said, the rain falls on the unjust and the just alike. What is that to elicit from us? 
Paul says this, and I hope we take stock in it as well. Romans 2. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Do you presume on the riches of his forbearance and patience? What's the purpose of such forbearance, kindness, and patience? Paul says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the forbearance, patience, and kindness shown to us in Christ.